Let's begin with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for each one here this morning. It is an amazing truth that you have not just called us corporately as a church, but you care about each one of us individually. And there's many of us here this morning. I just want to pray for those who've always felt like they have had nothing to offer. That somehow there's really two levels of ministry. There's those who are kind of super gifted and have all kinds of ways in which they help and, and care for and minister to people, and then there's the rest. And they don't feel very gifted or very special, or that somehow you have a vested interest in them. I pray that you'd minister to them, help them to know that you have called and you have gifted them personally, individually, each one of us here. So I just want to thank you and praise you for your word, that we can Sunday after Sunday be refocused, be renewed again by the truth, because we, we leak truth during the week. We forget. We forget who you are. We forget who we are. So thank you for your word that continuously brings us back to the reality in which we live spiritually and what is actually true about us and about you. So we commit our time to you this morning. I pray that you'd please speak to us powerfully by your spirit through your word. pray this in your name. Amen. So yeah, as Kevin says, um, I get to kickstart a series on spiritual gifts. And you'll remember that not long ago, Bruce and I were up here together. We were going through Ephesians 4. And we talked about spiritual gifts, especially about the fivefold, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And we were able to share together kind of as a way of illustrating how different uh, people can be gifted and, and how those gifts together create this synergy and this energy, almost like one plus one actually equals five, not just two, because there's something that happens when the gifts come together. And part of you even, even uh, seeing something like that it, it reinforces what I already prayed about for many of you, is that it seems that at times there's two levels of ministry. Especially if what you experience of church is primarily this setting. And you come on a Sunday morning and you sit and you listen and you watch and you see the musicians and they're, and they're gifted and they have these abilities and then you see people speak and you have people up here and you begin to feel like there's actually two levels. And that not all the ministry gifts are actually of equal value. Some are actually... Um, much more important than others, or much more significant. And there's, there's all kinds of misunderstandings around spiritual gifts, all kinds of confusion. There's been churches that have, that have split over the exercising of spiritual gifts and how to understand them. I've experienced that in my history. It is so important that we get this right. In fact, as Howard Snyder writes in his book, Radical Renewal, he says, the church truly becomes the church only when the biblical meaning of spiritual gifts is recovered. In fact, he goes on to say, if a church says they are the church, but they're not exercising spiritual gifts, it's actually a contradiction in terms. And so there's one point that I believe I am to make this morning spent a lot of time in prayer about there's just so many things that I could say. And every time I say one thing, I'm going to leave 10 things unsaid. So I know I'm going to say things this morning, and you're going to have certain thoughts right away that come, 
questions. Oh, I thought about, I thought it was like this, or, or what, what about that? And that's good. That's why we have a series. And that's why I get a start. I get to, I get to have all you guys asking questions, and then Kevin and Bruce get to answer them. So I'm actually, the, I'm the leadoff hitter, which is really good. Unless you're the Toronto Blue Jays, then it's not so good. But I believe I need to make one point this morning. And that is simply this, that we recover the biblical meaning and significance of gifts, of spiritual gifts, only when we have a right and biblical understanding of the very nature and essence of church. That's the only point I want to make this morning, which is actually really timely because we are inviting individuals this morning into the body of Christ. We get to celebrate that together with them. And so that begs the question, what are they actually becoming a part of? How do we understand church? What are they joining? Every denomination, every church, every believer is captive in some way to reduced ways of thinking about church. It doesn't matter what church you've grown up in, if it's Forest Grove or if you've been to numerous churches. All churches in some way suffer from reduced thinking. And we collect along the way self-limiting ideas about the nature of church, but the nature of ministry, the nature of gifting, the nature of calling. And these ideas over time, they develop into systems of thinking, strongholds of thought, a way of seeing the church and our place in it based on implied or clearly stated rules that shape our perspective. And that like set the boundaries of what we think is actually possible in the church or what we can expect to experience in the church. And where these are called the big ideas that we don't often think about. We don't often challenge them. We don't it's like when you're looking through a pair of glasses, you don't actually see the glasses. And yet everything you're looking at is affected by them. That's what this is like. And they're formed when we're very young. A way of seeing. And we see what maybe we think is acceptable to see, or what we should be seeing, or what we actually can see based on the paradigm we have about church. These implied rules, or even stated rules, that are like boundaries in which we have to stay within. Now, Forest Grove is an established church. I don't know how long Forest Grove has been here. Does someone know how, how long has Forest Grove been here? Kevin, do you know? 40 years? No, like how long has Forest Grove been in existence? The actual church. 40 years here. Okay. It's been a while. Um, Forest Grove has a long and rich history. And the more established the church, the more intentional we must be not to place increasing importance on protecting the collective behaviors that have become habitual and customary and normal. Because all of life must have structure. You have to understand that. Structure is not wrong. You cannot have a group that comes together and not have any structure at all. The moment you come together, even a small group, you decide, okay, what night are we going to meet? Okay, so what time? What are we going to do when we come together? Are we going to pray? Are we going to read God's Word? Are we going to study it? You start to build structure right away or you can't support life. So 
When you have a group, especially of this size, you have to have structure. And sometimes what happens over time is we begin to live to protect those structures, those customs, those habits that have, that have formed around who we are as a church. So we have to be careful that we don't allow the spiritual spontaneity the community life of the church to be stifled by our institutional forms, kind of like the way we do things around here that we're comfortable with. And it's even a bigger challenge when you intend a church the size of Forest Grove not to view church primarily as the sum of our institutional forms. Because we have to have a lot of structure when you have a lot of people. It's just how it is. And it's really hard for us not to think of the church as, an, as primarily an institution rather than what it actually is. And now I'll use a word that many of you have maybe struggled with in the past. The church is primarily charismatic, which simply means it's a manifestation of the grace of God, what it is. In fact, many churches have structured themselves in such a way that they never become charismatic. Because there's a misunderstanding of the word. It's actually a very rich biblical word. And the, the word spiritual gifts, the word gifts actually means, it comes from the word grace or, or charis. We are charismatic. We're a manifestation of the grace of God. That's what we are. That's why we exist. It's like the grace of God flowing into the world. And what comes out of it is the body of Christ. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson decided to go on a camping trip. And they had dinner together, and then they relaxed around the fire, and then they laid down for the night, and they went to sleep. And a few hours later, Holmes wakes up, and he nudges his faithful friend. He says, Watson, look up at the sky. Tell me what you see. He says, I, 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 see, I see millions of stars. What does that tell you? And Watson ponders for a moment. Astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I can see that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I can deduce that it's approximately quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and we are small and insignificant. And Meteorologically, I can, I can deduce that tomorrow is going to be a beautiful day. So, Holmes, tell me what you see. Or, yeah, and Holmes kind of pauses for a moment. He's like, Watson, you idiot. Someone has stolen our tent. At times, we don't actually see reality for what it is because we're predisposed to think and reason along certain neurological pathways in our minds. 
And so right away we start thinking in those ways. In fact, neuroscientists have discovered, and they tell us that the thoughts we think, and in this case, the thoughts we think about church and our place in it, and the decisions we make around these thoughts actually form what look like thought trees in our minds. Because God has actually designed us that when we think, we actually build substance in our brains. So that's very sobering, especially for us as leaders. What are we communicating to our people about church and the nature of the church and their place in it? Because they are forming thoughts around it, they're making decisions around it, and we can actually build strongholds of thought in our minds. So it's fascinating when science catches up with God's Word. Because Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, what does it say? You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can actually transform your mind by what you put in it. You can change those neurological pathways by being in God's Word and, and beginning to renew your mind according to the truth and have strongholds of thought that are fixed on truth. But in this case, we can build strongholds of thought around the church. And we're convinced it looks this way. And we're convinced we fit into it in a certain way. In Matthew 13, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you, talk, why do you tell stories when you talk to the people? And one of the key things that Jesus said in response, he says, because the people see what I do, but they don't really see. And that's what he's talking about. We see what we think we should be looking for. We see what we think is acceptable to see. And as someone has said, the real act of discovery consists not in finding new lands, but in seeing with new eyes. So for some of us, if we are to recover the biblical meaning and significance of spiritual gifts in the life of the church, we'll need to see the church and our place in it with new eyes. That's where we have to start. We've got to get to the big ideas. What are the big ideas you believe about church? What are the big ideas you believe about your place in it? How can we help you see with new eyes? How can we raise your expectations? The Latin slogan, Semper Reformanda, it drove the, the, much of the great reformation. It's always timely and relevant. It simply means this, that the church reformed ought always to be reforming according to the word of God. So who are we as a church? We've just gone through Ephesians. Ephesians is the foremost authority on the nature and purpose of the church that we have in Scripture. It represents Paul's best thinking on what the church is. The very essence, the very DNA of the church. It's almost like the spiritual template for the church in all ages. So what has Paul said? He said many things, but I just want to read this for you. This is Ephesians 2, verses 13 to 22. I believe we also have it on the screen. 
Paul writes this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, but which he put to death their hostility. He's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer, no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, as the, as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And here's key. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is key. So as a result of all that Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection, this is what Paul is saying, something entirely new begins to emerge. A mystery is revealed, a cosmic plan of salvation that God had attended from the beginning of creation. Something that'd be, that would make known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God. People from every race, ethnicity, and culture being invited back into the realm of the triune God to together know and experience once again the love and the wholeness and the harmony and the grace that occurs and prevails within that relationship. And God is inviting a people, He's forming from every nation, a group of people to participate together in His ever-flowing grace and love into the world. It's like a whole new humanity. Invited to live within a community with norms and culture and practices formed and shaped by the power and presence of of the Almighty Spirit of God living within them. That is what we are. And so the church was born. What did we celebrate last Sunday? Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came. And he was going to dwell not just among his people, he's dwelling in his people. And things started to happen in the church. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 to 11, Paul begins to, he gives a record of what started to happen. And he's he's talking about spiritual gifts. People began to be able to do things they'd never been able to do before. And they were able to minister to, to each other in incredible ways. And what began to happen is there was, there was confusion. And there was some misunderstanding about what was really happening. And now he's trying to teach to them. And this is what I want to read with you now. This is what he writes. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. It says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. In other words, I don't want you to be uninformed. You need to understand what is happening amongst you. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. 
Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Number seven. Now to each one, that's each one of you, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of the tongues. All these are the work of the one of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. The church is a manifestation of the grace of God. That's what it is. You are a manifestation of the grace of God. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. He says, do you not know? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Now, would it not be inevitable that there would be some outward demonstration of this inner reality? Would that not be true? If the Spirit of the living God is living within us, would there not be some outward manifestation of the grace of God in your life? The Spirit of God is within you. Gifts are not extravagant extras. That's not what they are. God does not come to you and say, you know what, I'm going to give you a gift, kind of like a little bit of an add-on to the rest of your life. You know, it doesn't really fit with your personality and all your experiences and your natural abilities. It's just kind of this, this little extravagant extra thing. And that's not what he does. He comes in you by his Holy Spirit. And he begins to transform you. And he takes your personality. He takes all your abilities. He takes all of your experiences. He takes the things you love because he's made you. And he, all of them are gifts from him. And he says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you as a gift to the church. And as you begin to serve, I'm going to, I'm going to use you for the common good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes we get so hung up on what exactly is my gift. Just start to serve and love people and you will begin to discover how the Holy Spirit will use you. And it's going to fit with your personality. It's going to fit with your abilities. He's going to take all of you. He's going to use you if you commit all of yourself to Him. He'll use you. Sometimes we take these gift lists and we think they're they're an exhaustive list of how the Holy Spirit can work. Almost like, now these are the boundaries in which we can expect him to be moving. The second verse in Scripture, Genesis 1 verse 2, what does it say? 
It says the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And we know what happened next. Same Spirit of God that lives in you. We are astounded by the variety and complexity of life on this planet. We are awed by its breathtaking beauty and majesty. It's a magnificent display of the infinite and matchless creativity and genius of the Spirit of God. This is the Spirit that lives in you. Is this Paul Paul was merely describing how this inner reality was beginning to take shape in the church. And it can look, there's an there's a infinite number of possible ways this could look. The gifts came to the church as, as a manifestation, an outward demonstration of this inner reality, that the church is a temple in which the Spirit of God dwells. That each believer was a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you see, the exercising of spiritual gifts are the very essence of the definition and nature of the church. The church is the manifestation of the grace of God, and if we say that we are the church but are not exercising spiritual gifts, we are a contradiction in terms. Because that's what we are. That's what you are. Richard Niebuhr once said, The great Christian revolutions came not by the discovery of something that was not known before. They happen when someone takes radically something that was always there. One way of challenging the implied or stated rules that have shaped your perspective about the church and your place in it, is to ask the right questions to expose what those big ideas are that you believe. And I believe that one such question that exposes our reduced thinking or our self-limiting ideas about church and our place in it is this. And I would ask you to, to, to think about this in your own mind. How central is the exercising of spiritual gifts, including your spiritual gifts, to the very essence and nature of church? That's going to expose those kind of implied or stated rules you have about the body of Christ and what you think it really is and who you think you really are in Christ. They're not extras. They're not bonuses thrown in. They're they're central to the biblical understanding of the church. And they're absolutely essential to the health and vitality of the body. And the the extent to which your gifts are activated is the measure of the quality of the ministry of Forest Grove going forward. And whether or not Jesus is going to be manifested manifested here 
and through you. So I just want to encourage you as I close. We must have one concern. Not so much how can I identify what my gift is specifically, but how can I serve? How can I serve? How can I begin to use all that I am in Christ to love people? First Corinthians 12, verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Dear Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you and praise you that you have given us the incredible gift of your Holy Spirit. What an incredible reality that you actually live in us by your Spirit, the very Spirit of God. Now you've called each one of us to a ministry. You've gifted us in a way that we can love people and build up and encourage the body. Thank you now that we have the incredible joy of, of celebrating together um, other individuals who are saying, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to be a part of the body. Thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your word. Amen.